I'm a revivalist at heart. You know what that means, right? If you don't know what that means, that means there's really no list of that in the Bible. I think a revivalist is something that God raises up to remind his people of what they need. I'm like those two paddles that the doctors rub together in the ICU room and they say, stand back, boom, here it comes. I had someone ask me, how in the world did you ever become a state overseer? I said, well, I don't have a clue, to be honest. I'm a son of a Baptist preacher. I wasn't raised in the church of God. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit driving down the road in my car. I am a first-generation Pentecostal preacher. I still believe the Bible from Genesis to Maps. Hello, I believe it all. The steps of Paul, his three missionary journeys. In fact, I've read them, studied them backwards and forwards. But I love preaching out of the Old Testament. My, all of my consecration in seminary, that was all centered on New Testament theology. My doctorate is in theology. I love the New Testament. But you know what? Everything they said in the New Testament was said in the Old Testament. Jesus said, I come to fill it up. I don't know about you, but when I stop at a gas station, I've been driving three or four hours. I don't want a quarter tank. I want a whole tank of gas to get me where I'm going. I don't know about you, but you better buckle up this morning because I feel the preacher in this house. Man, you guys are the easiest bunch of people to preach to. This morning service, I'm like, you know, maybe just dim the lights, fill this place with smoke, and turn me loose. I'm sort of like the Energizer Bernie. Just wind me up. I told a young man in the bathroom, I said, uh, he said, you're the preacher. He said, I hear you can preach. I said, well, I, I, I plan to make everybody happy. Some when I start, others when I finish. But we can all leave smiling. Once you stand and stretch one more time as we go to the book of Joel, say Joel. Joel, I love his well. I said I love his well. You know, there's some folks that could really stand a good drink of that right now. There's some folks that could really, for, you know why you drink, right? According to Proverbs, why does a man drink? He drinks to forget his misery. Give strong drink to them who are suffering. And sometimes the church forgets to drink at Joel's bar. It's open. And if you will drink from the fountain of God this morning, your troubles will dissipate. In fact, they'll vanish if you'll exalt the Lord today. So say, run to the battle. So... 1 Samuel 17, there's this little red-headed guy, Abby. His name was David. And he was 16 years old approximately at this point in his life. And his daddy gave him cheese, a flag, and a wine, and some crackers and said, go visit your brothers down at the battlefield. And the Bible said that David run to the battle. If you remember when the children of Israel left Israel, the Bible said the Lord didn't take them the near way lest they see war and turn around and go back. Why did he say that? They had never seen war. They were slaves. They, listen to this. They had plowed the ground. They had made 
bricks with straw and mud and then came Moses and spoke a word of the Lord and they took away the straw from the mud. Made brick laying a whole lot harder. These people had never picked up a sword. They didn't know how to fight. But David said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. In fact, he makes me so strong that a bow of steel is broken in my arms. I'm not talking about a weak army today. I'm talking about a strong army of the Lord. Here's what I know. Jesus is not coming back for a weak dying anemic church but he's coming back for something that's greater than what we've seen in the book of Acts. Somebody praise God with me today. Y'all need a big clock so I can tell what time it is so I don't preach the everlasting gospel because I'm telling you this is an atmosphere where I can wield the sword of the Lord today. Say run to the battle. Don't walk, run to the battle. They shall run like mighty men. You know, when I was in the army, we did uh, PT. That's physical therapy to a certain degree, but it's actually training. And you know how you started your day off in the military? Two miles every morning around the track. And I, could, I wonder why in the world would they do that? Why would they make you run as soon as your feet hit the floor? You're going out before you eat breakfast and you're going to run two miles. Well, guess what? I found out you can eat when you're hungry. But it sharpens the mind when you run. Any runners in here? Now, I know you look at my body and you say, well, you don't look like you run. Well, I used to run. Now my run is different. I, I've, got a, I've got an ATV. I've got a 1,000 Honda side by side. I can run with that thing. i got a 650 Honda four-wheeler. I can run with that thing through the woods. Run to the battle. Don't run from the battle. Run to the battle. There's something about courage. Is there any veterans in here? Raise your hand. Come on, let God know how much you appreciate the veterans in this room. Our police officers, deputy sheriffs, state highway patrol. How about our doctors, our nurses, our EMTs? How about U.S. deputy marshals? How about people that protect and serve this nation? Army, Air Force, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, and Space Force. I pray for them every day. Why? Well, when I was a kid, my dad signed for two things for me. A 1967 Z-28 Camaro. When I was 17, he signed for me to join the military. Aren't you glad he's not your daddy? Run to the battle. There's been a lot of people run with the cowards, but God's looking for people that's going to stand their ground and run to the battle. Not just, not just hold the fort, but take the city. Take this county, Laurel County for the Lord. Run to the battle like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. Say men of war. There's something about somebody that's seen war. They're never the same anymore. They're different. They understand what it is to be a casualty of war. They know what it means. Kathy's father was a, so was my dad, but Kathy's father was a war, war uh, or excuse me, Korean War veteran. He was only in the military for two years. 
he was a master sergeant at the end of two years. He spent six months at Fort Leonard Wood before he came home after being in Korea for a year and a half being a drill sergeant. I'm glad he wasn't my drill sergeant. I looked at Dad and I said, how did you, how did you get ranked so fast? He said, son, I lived. He was one of the first men that came on the 38th parallel in Korea. He said, when we got there, he said, you see this hill? We own property on the west side in southern Ohio, and it's filled with trees. He said, that's what Korea looked like when I got there. He said, after two weeks, there wasn't a tree as high as your knee. He said, they bombarded us with mortar rounds. People that know war understand what war is like. We lived in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. That's home of the War College. In order for you to become a full bird colonel in the United States Army, you have to do one of two things. Either you go to war or you go to the War College. And after you graduate the War College, you can become a full bird. If you're going to go ahead and be a no general can be a general without serving in war. They have to understand what battle is. And I'm here to tell you there's some generals in this room because you've been fighting a devil a long time and you've graduated from the War College of Jesus Christ and you understand how to defeat the enemy. I don't know about you. I don't want a wimp or a sissy in a foxhole with me. I want a man or a woman of God that knows how to ring the prayer bells of heaven and get a hold of God for me. Go ahead and sit down. I'm preaching. You don't need to stand the whole time. But they run on this wall. They climb up the wall. They scale the wall. When I was in the army, that was part of everyday routine. You had to climb a wall. There's a wall in front of every one of us this morning to climb. I like this. They shall march in their ranks and they shall not break their ranks, neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. That's resurrection power. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. How long has it been in, since you walked into a room and people shook under the power of God? You mentioned revival at Liberty. I had the awesome opportunity and privilege of being the pastor of that church when revival broke out. Somebody asked me, what did revival cost you? Revival cost you everything. It's not some casual thing that you can just enter in and God just show up like he did at that church. I fasted and prayed. I remember my first fast. God called me to a 40-day fast. And on that 40-day fast, he said I could drink juice. And I drank juice for 40 days. And at the end of that 40 days, I was as skinny as a, as a bean pole. People thought, I had one guy tell me, he said, we thought you were sick. Oh, I was sick all right. I was sick of going to church and not having resurrection power in my building. I was sick of preaching to people that all they wanted to do was get spiritually fat and not go out and fight in a battle. And I can remember during those days of 40-day fast, I could look at you and tell you what sin was in your life. People don't like it when you fast. They would rather to feast. That way we can all sit around and get fat together. 
But when you start fasting and you start praying and you start hearing from the Lord, you're a different individual than the casual believer that comes to church because you've seen what war can do. I've seen the casualties of war. I've buried them, myself as a pastor, babies that I've dedicated, young men that I pastored. We just lost a young man that committed suicide that I pastored during that revival at the church. I don't know about you, I'm tired of burying casualties of war. Innocent, listen to me, during war, the, the, the women and the children suffer the most. They're raped and pillaged by men of the enemy. They come, they take what they want, and they kill our babies, and they take our girls and our little sons, and they do with them as they please. Don't that sound like the devil? Kentucky's in the fight of its life. The opioid crisis in United States of America, we are at the epic center of that opioid crisis. Hillbilly cocaine, oxycodone, oxycotton as they call it, oxy. Not to mention the crack, not to, and I'm not talking about a plumber's crack. I'm talking about drugs. And you and I as God's people are right in the midst of one of the greatest pandemics. And listen, people were dying of COVID, but they never said anything about the people that died with overdoses of drugs. It's the fentanyl crisis. We've opened up the borders of our nation and we've given it away. And you and I as God's people sit around, twiddle our thumbs and never lift up our voice in public because we're ashamed to say what we believe. But God's looking for men and women who are not afraid to speak the truth with boldness in love and say, I stand flat-footed on the word of the Lord. Oh, I'm not mad, old noble Festus. No, I'm not out of my mind. I'm out of your mind. Because you and I as God's people have sat in the world so long. We've seen what a pandemic can do to our nation. I was in Pennsylvania. Honey, they made a hell hole out of Philadelphia. Not to mention Baltimore downtown. You can't go in Chicago, Illinois. The streets are not safe in our nation. And you know what? All evil has to do to triumph is for good men and women to do nothing and say nothing. And that's what we've done. We've got politicians that aren't worth a powder that goes in their sugar. We've got teachers, and, and I hope you're a, a teacher and you're saved and you know how to live right and how to talk right and how to do right. I don't try to put everybody in the same box. I was preaching. I was up in Pittsburgh the other day before I left, and I was preaching. I didn't know I had a congressman sitting there. I said, most of the congressmen and women of this nation are nothing but cowards. They won't stand for what's right. They're afraid to say what's right. They're afraid they'll lose their position. Honey, hell is filled with people like that. You and I as God's people have something to stand for, and it's right. Please, God, I've got, listen, I will have five grandchildren by July. I have three little granddaughters right now. I do not want teachers teaching my kids and my granddaughters that they can be grandsons. It's all right, honey. You're just confused. You'll be okay. Just be what you want to be. You know what my dad would do to me if I tried to put on a dress? 
he'd take me outside and there wouldn't be nothing left to put a dress on. My dad always told me, he said, son, I'm going to give you what the country boy gave the banjo. I'm going to pick you all over. And you know what? So we don't, we don't discipline our children anymore. We just let them do whatever they want. I like what you said. Use some good common sense. Where I came from, if you sassed your parents, you had a meat sandwich. Yeah, that was his backhand hitting your lips, and you had a little bit of gum meat in there. My grandfather stood up one time. I've got my grandfather's moonshine still in my garage in Ohio. When I pastored, the only time I ran it was for communion. That was the largest crowd we had. People come to, to both service and wanted extra. White lightning. Lord have mercy. My grandfather never had an education. My grandmother was a school teacher, but my grandfather didn't have an education. She married him. His name was Roby Roscoe Moore. And I've got his steel. Let me tell you something about my grandfather. He was a big man. He was probably about 6'6". Six, six. He'd probably field dress about 250 in his prime. He's a big man of a man. I remember him standing up one night at church when I was a Baptist preacher. I was getting ready to preach, and Grandpa stood up and testified. And he called me a little blue-eyed something. I won't repeat that. He said it in church, too. You could have heard false teeth hit the floor. He said that little blue-eyed whatever there never cussed me or never sassed me not one time in his life. Honey, I knew not to sass that man. He kept a bull whip hanging out on the front porch, and I've seen him crack it on my aunt's back. I'm here to tell you right now, he was a man's kind of man. He only had one eye. I've got his 30-30 Winchester. Uh, in fact, it, it's black because where he made moonshine, he blacked it. That way, if he had to run from the revenues, he could throw it in, in the woods and nobody could see it because he blackened it. But I remember at about 73 years old, that old man gave his life to the Lord. And you know, we used to sing a song. I used to sing a song, there's been a change in me. Yeah, there's a change in me. I am not the man that I used to be. Old things passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Praise the Lord, there's been a change in me. See, that old man I knew before, he's gone forevermore. He's washed beneath the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary. I am a brand new man because now I've got God's hand on my life. There's been a change. There's been a change in me. See, when you're raised around rugged men and women, especially my father being a Korean War veteran, Kathy's father being a Korean War veteran, my grandfather just been an old heathen, old moonshiner. I had one uncle, his name was Delbert Evans. Delbert Evans spent 22 years in prison for making moonshine. He made more moonshine in prison than he did when he was out. Where has America gone? Let me tell you where it's gone. It's gone to the way of passivity. You know what that means? That means that people are very passive anymore. They don't want to get involved. In fact, they'll turn their head if someone's raping another one. Do you know that in Kentucky and in America that uh, I happen to, uh, as you can tell, I'm not a conscientious objector by any means, but I also have a conceal and carry permit. And you know what? I can con conceal and carry. And do you know that what one of the penalties of death is? If a man is raping a woman and I have my conceal and carry weapon with me, I can kill that man in defense of that lady. 
But how many people would even say anything to someone who was being raped and pillaged and stopped today because instead of running to war, we've become passive and our passivity has entered the church and we're afraid to take a stand for what we believe in. But God's looking for men and women that's going to run to the battle. Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people? No wonder Israel has, the, this is the law of Israel. Whether you're male or female, you're going to serve in the military. Doesn't matter whether you're male or female, you're going to serve in the military. You're going to learn what it means to take rules and obey. You're going to, see, here's what we think. We think because we're in America, we have a right to vote. We think we have a right to say. How many of you know in a theocracy there's one God? Do you hear me? He has one son and there's a Holy Spirit and God gave you his opinion in the 66 books that we call the Bible. Let God be true and let every man be a liar. Run to the battle. The prophet Joel was talking about an army, a force that cannot be stopped. He talked about an army that does not break rank. In taking a look at Joel's prophecy, how does today's church compare with that statement? You do know that on the day of Pentecost when Peter stood up, he quoted from Joel chapter 2 right on down. For he said, in the last days, saith the Lord, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy on my young men and on my handmaidens. I'll pour out of my spirit of those days and they shall prophesy. Young men's going to have vision. Old men's going to dream dreams. And he's going to renew and restore everything that the enemy has stolen. That's what Peter was quoting on the day of Pentecost. This is the Pentecost appetite. Does the devil consider this church or me or you as being an invading force or something to fear? Or does he see us as people that are keepers of the aquarium instead of fishers of men? You and I as God's people been giving marching orders that we're to go out and we're to run to the battle and we're not to sway one way or the other, but we are to move forward. I shared with the first service this morning that when I was in basic training, we had a guy, and I hope you're not related to him, and I hope you're not him today, but his last name was Llewellyn. Llewellyn didn't know his right foot from his left. So our drill instructor found two nice big rocks. He had him paint R on one and L on the other. Someone asked me if he ever figured it out. I said, there's some things you just can't fix. Stupid is one of them. And I know that there's people that call themselves by the name of the Lord and they don't understand what it is to march to the drum of a different, of a different beat from another world. Some of us have become so earthly minded we're no longer heavenly good. You and I as God's people though should be the brightest stars that shine in all of the earth because our orders don't come from a man. Our orders come from the God of the universe. Come on, somebody praise the Lord. So what should our attitude toward God be? God is a man of war. The Lord is his name, Exodus 15 and 3. It is God that executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. Psalm 75, verse 7. Set your minds on things that are above. How many nurses in this room? You know what that word set means, don't you? When I break my leg, guess what gets to happen to me? It gets to get set. And so God deals with me from a broken perspective. 
When God looks at my mind, he sees me as I really am, as a broken individual that needs set. Guess what happens if your mind has not been set and you've got the wrong mindset? Guess what happens? God breaks your mind for you. He'll help you out. Guess what a good doctor will do? If your bone's growing back crooked, if he leaves it alone, he doesn't set it straight, he'll have to re-break it. I don't know about you. I've been, more, I've been broke more than once in my life, and I ain't talking about financially. I'm talking about where God's had to break me. Smith Wigglesworth said God broke me a million times before he ever used me once. The reason we don't see the miracle working power of God released in the earth is because men and women refuse to be broke before an almighty God. I'm here to tell you right now, if we'll allow the Holy Spirit to break us, the miracles will return, Pastor Sean. Let me tell you what will fill this church up and every church in America up. If the miracles start happening in those churches, you won't have any problem. You won't even have to advertise it. They'll come. They'll come to be healed. They'll come to be delivered. They'll come to get set free. I never will forget we had a young lady dying of AIDS in our church. God healed that young lady. Of course, she went up to Rod Parsley's and he took credit for it. But I know God healed her and I didn't pray for her. I was one of the people that prayed for her. But other people prayed for her in the altar. And God healed her of AIDS and she's still alive. Come on, praise the Lord. Set your minds on things that are above. You and I as God's people must set our mind on heaven. We must not deviate from the gospel. We must keep moving forward declaring the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It's the word of God that's going to save Kentucky. It's the word of God that's going to save America. Hello. You want to make America great again? Have revival from the White House to the church house. So shall my word be that it goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing where I sin it. That's God speaking there. I believe the whole Bible's in red. I don't know about you. I believe it from Genesis to maps. I believe it's all God's holy word. Secondly, I must obey the Lord. Peter and John, you know where that passage comes from, right? There was a, a lame man that sat outside of the church house. Nobody could help that man. And you know what he was doing? He was begging alms. He, he was a bona fide, you know, uh, can I help you? I have a heart of compassion to homeless people and people that are in need. But do you know that most homeless people are homeless because they want to be? And when they stand out there and beg, do you know that they have to have a permit that quali qualifies them to be a carpetbagger? So they stand out there, but this guy was lame from his childhood up. He could not walk. He had never taken a step in his life. And Peter and John was going up. Anytime you go to church, you're going up. Those of you watching online, anytime you can get out to the house of God, you're going up. 
So they were going up to the temple to pray. It was the hour of prayer. We used to sing that old song, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. You and I as God's people can't spend 10 minutes sometimes, but we need a sweet hour of prayer. Because if we will pray about our problems as much as we tell everybody else about our problems, if we would tell them to the Lord, we'd have no problems. He looked at Peter and John, and you know what the world's looking at the church today? And you know what? They're expecting more out of us than what they're getting. They looked on Peter, and he looked on Peter and John expecting to receive. And Peter said, silver and gold have I none. But what I have I give to you in the name of the Lord. He grabbed him by the hand, honey. Power went down his body all the way down to his ankle bones and his knees. And he came in church and there wasn't a hypocrite in the house that could stop him from dancing. He started leaping all over the church. Well, now there was in a pickle. The Sanhedrin didn't know what to do. So they said, now listen, you can't preach the name of Jesus You can't use the name of Jesus. And the Bible said they beat them. But they were afraid to do much to them because that was a notable miracle. I mean, it was notable. Everybody knew this dude. And here's what Peter looked at them and said, which is better for me to do, obey you or obey God? You decide. We must obey God rather than man. When God says move, move. I'm going to move on down. you got to lose the fear of man. Do you know what stops us from being courageous? Fear. Do you know what the opposite of faith is? It's not fear, it's doubt. Unbelief. But fear is crippling. Fear will halt you in your tracks. It will stop you from doing what needs to be done at a critical moment in your life. We stand there and we try to think about what God's saying and we're afraid what man may do to us. We're afraid that if we do what God actually said that we might actually find ourselves in trouble. I don't know about you, but I remember when revival broke out. You know what? When revival broke out at our church, it cost a price. I remember I had been down to uh, Epworth at the sea and the Lord spoke to me, Tony, if you repent, I'll send revival to your church. Now, you know, I've been pastoring that church for some time. We had just completed our multi-purpose building. God gave me a vision, and the vision was bigger than some of the folks that was there before, and and they decided to leave. We can't, you know, it was getting a little low. It was slim pickings at a time. And I remember that the Lord just spoke to me plainly, repent and revival will come. And I remember the day the Lord spoke to me when I was praying in the sanctuary. It was actually a gymnasium about this size. I started praying over every seat, Pastor Sean, and I got about right over here on the third row. And when I got to the third row, I was crying out, Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive me. Send revival. He said, Tony, I've tried for five years, and for five years you've stood in my way. I got down on my knees and I asked God to forgive me. You know what he told me to do? Get up. Go get every chair you have. Set it out because I'm going to fill this house. On Sunday morning, I had 88 people walk through the doors of that church that I'd never laid my eyes on before. If we will obey God and not fear man, God will honor it. I remember on Wednesday night when revival really started hitting at the church. I'd been up to Alaska. I loved to hunt. I'd taken a nice caribou. I got lost while I was in Alaska. 
I don't have time to tell you all that story. I know how to tell you is on the morning when I got up, it was September the 3rd, 1997. It was my birthday. I will never forget it. I was with a guy, you know him, if you uh, fly into Louisville or Lexington, those big horse prints, that's Doug Prather. Doug and I was on this caribou hunt together. We had gotten lost, didn't know where we were at. I know we were about 48 miles from Dillingham, Alaska. When the fog lifted on a lake, I saw a red float plane. I'd heard birds the night before, and I set my uh, compass. You know, got a little bit of military background. I didn't have a, a topo map, but I had a compass. I'd go 10 feet, and I'd set that compass down because I knew if I would stay to that mark that was true to due north, and I know due north is off three degrees in Alaska, minimum. But I still had it set properly. I just kept walking in the morning in the fog. I couldn't see from here to you. But I'd walk about that far and I would set that compass down. And I would keep following that compass. I was headed in the right direction. I'm here to tell you we got a compass. I, I Don't take more than ten steps. David took a few. Then he started sacrificing to the Lord. Remember that? We finally got to the shores of that lake. Because see, to be rescued, you had to have water in Alaska. Because they fly you in and they fly you out. We stood there for a while. We started breaking limbs off of trees that was close because we wanted to build a fire. When daylight came, if a helicopter, they'd been helicopters going around. Uh, those are game wardens, and they're looking for people poaching and make sure you got your tags and got everything's right. They say you don't break the law in Alaska because they know every person that's hunting in Alaska. Well, we were hoping they would knew we were there, and after a couple of days, they might come and find us, and we'd at least have a fire that we could start a fire and give a signal to somebody to help us. After daylight came, the fog lifted, and about 200 yards across that lake, there was a red float plane. You ought to heard that Episcopalian start shouting and praising God. I'd never seen Doug. Doug's a great man. Him and I are very good friends. He took pictures at our Christmas banquet. That's Doug Prather. He started jumping up and down and praising God when he saw that plane. You know why? He knew that was our salvation. He knew that was our deliverance. Johnny Johnson flew that plane. He's also an airplane pilot for FedEx in Manila. What's the chances of somebody named Johnny Johnson who flies for FedEx in uh, Manila instead of being over in Manila, being in Alaska, when there was a preacher that got lost in the middle of nowhere in the wilderness of Alaska that needed rescued. Oh, I'm here to tell you, chances are pretty good. Doug Prather looked at Johnny Johnson, and this is what Johnny said. He said, I'm looking at two of the luckiest men I've ever seen in my life. And Doug said, if you're going to get lost in Alaska, get lost with a Pentecostal preacher. Come on, praise the Lord with me. Long story short, here I am. I did take a real nice caribou. I've been very blessed in life to do a lot of things. I'm not afraid to do anything. I said I'm not afraid to do anything. If you lack courage in your life, fear will cripple you. You know, I was thinking about your daddy this morning I know he's really been through a battle 
know, he was talking to me a little bit about some of the things. He was a little apprehensive about, about you know, he's got this call of God on his life and he wants to fulfill it. You know, after they amputated his foot, you know, he just wondered how that was going to go. Honey, I've buried better men than me. I've done the funerals of better men and women than me. I don't understand all that there is to know about the hurts and the pain and the sufferings of life. But I have seen war. I've buried teenagers that have overdosed. I've buried car wreck victims. But I've also seen them raised up out of the hospital beds. I never will forget one night about 11 o'clock I got a call. Somebody from Boone County heard that there was a Pentecostal preacher that believed in the miracle working power of God. Mommy and Daddy called me to come to the University of Kentucky to the ICU ward. Their little 16 or 17 year old daughter had been thrown out the windshield of that car. Doctors gave them no hope. Pastor Sean, I walked in that room. I looked at that couple and I said, well, I came to pray. I mean, you know, it didn't look good, man. They had tubes running that little girl. I grabbed that dad and that mom, both hands. Stand with me, church. And I began to pray. You know what I said? I was praying and the Holy Ghost moved on me. Uh, Y'all still believe the Holy Ghost moves on you, don't you? Yeah. I looked at that mom and dad and I said the Lord just spoke to me that this little girl shall live and shall not die man you ought to sit there was two nurses in there working you ought to seen those two nurses look at me I said I'm here to tell you not only is this little girl going to live she's going to walk down the aisle of my church and me and her going to dance in the front of my church Three months later, honey, that little girl walked through the door of our church and I danced with her in the front of our church. I am on the winning side. I know I may lose a battle. I know there's going to be struggle. I know pastors have almost lost their mind.